For over four episodes, they've hid in the shadows. For over four episodes, they've had a strict code of honor. For over four episodes, they have terrorized the streets of Japan. Now, it's time for their fifth episode. I thought I, I thought we were going to segue like into Thundercats Ho or something like that. We can if you want. This is the fifth episode of Pure Tokyo Scope Podcast. I'm Patrick Macias, the author of Tokyo Scope. I am Matt Alt, the author of Pure Invention. And together we are Pure Tokyo Scope? Something like that. <laughs> we need more tension as the Japanese, as I'm always being told. They're always like, on the first take of anything on Japanology Plus. It's always Matt-san. So low tension today. And I was like, well, I, you know, I just got up, man. I just got up. Anyway, what are we talking about today, Patrick? I don't know what we're talking Well, we have news and we have features, okay? So before we get into our feature, I did want to say that uh, there's some construction going on outside. I think the neighbors are building a level five Gundam life-size or something like that. So if some of that audio leaks in here, just uh, pretend like you're in Japan. And- Leave complaints with the manager. But in the meantime... But in the meantime, for the news segment, this is a story you brought to my attention. This ran in the Japan Times earlier this week. Japanese government survey shows one in four singles in their 30s not willing to marry. And it's not that they're not married. It's that they're not willing to marry. That's interesting. This this smacks of one of these, you know, it's based on Japanese data. Okay, let's just say that. But it smacks of one of these Western narratives of like, oh, look, how weird are the Japanese people if we're not getting married? But I think this is, again, indicative of a trend that's kind of true across the board. I don't know what the marriage statistics are to compare in America and Europe and places like that. But my sense is that Japanese young people, and by young, you know, now that I'm almost 50, <laughs> that means everybody on the planet, are pretty reflective of young people everywhere. I don't think Japanese people are outliers in this case. Yeah, it's weird because the article does not mention uh, marriage rates in other countries. It's it's a Japanese government paper that this all came from, but it, it would be interesting just for the sake of, I don't know, be able to compare and contrast with what is happening around the world instead of just Japan, but it is the Japan Times, so you can't really blame them. They, they don't really go into speculation here, but there's a lot of factors at work here. For instance, uh, the oft remarked on fact that Japan is, I think, one of the only advanced nations to mandate either the women take the men's name or the other way around, you have to share a married name here. There's none of this keeping your maiden name, keeping your what's what's the what's the opposite of a maiden name for a man? Birth name. Uh, you the the guy can take the woman's name, and that does happen here in certain cases. Uh, or the, but the woman more often takes the 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 man's name, but it has to happen, and that's kind of a pain in the ass to a lot of people, I think. Yeah, you have to go down to like the Kuyakusho with your Juminhyo and get it triple signed and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I was I was lucky. I married someone with a really awesome last name, Yoda. So like, I kind of wanted to take that. Not that I have a problem with alt. Um, we should have hyphenated it like alt Yoda. Well, it says here the one in four singles in their thirties who have never been married in Japan said that they have no desire to tie the knot, citing such reasons as concerns over a loss of freedom associated housework and financial burdens and Yoda jokes. What I mean, it's kind of, I don't really know how to make the counter argument here. There is going to be a loss of freedom. There's no more collecting of Chogokin willy-nilly like you did when you were when you were a young man full of piss and vinegar. You have to justify your Chogokin purchases once you get married. My attitude is no housework, never, under any circumstances. I'll do anything to avoid picking a towel up the floor. I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. Is that the is that what that song is about? 
That's pretty much. And this article ends with a, with a big mic drop here saying the white paper pointed out the need to create an environment in which young people can marry and raise children with peace of mind. Good luck with that. We need to make a terrarium where where young people can meet and mate like, you know, like Galapagos tortoises or something. It's well, you know, Elon Musk did say that, you know, Japan's going to cease to exist because people aren't having children anymore. So, yeah, I mean, you force people at knife point. This is the thing, right? What are you going to do? <laughs> you must get married. Posters on the subway. I don't know. I'll never share custody of my toy collection. Never. So that's the heavy story. We do have a lighter one that's possibly related. Uh, this ran on grape, or is it grapey? Is that like an icy? I could use a grapey icy right about now. Anna Miller's American Diner, known for tasty pies and iconic uniform to close the last branch in Japan. This is some real sad news, man. This one hurts. Anna Miller's was a kind of diner style place imported from Hawaii, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Started in Northern California, but then. Yeah, so there are only, as of right now, two Anna Millers left in the world serving up that delicious pie. There's one in Hawaii, and there's one in uh, Tanakawa, which is basically Shinagawa Station. Did we go there once or twice? I definitely feel like I went there with some down and dirty otaku dudes. The the first time I ever went, I was taken by Michael House, uh, the legendary Anime Ego translator. He did like all of the translations for Anime Ego's original stuff. And there used to be an Anna Miller's, Anna Miller's branch in Kichijoji. And that is where Michael took me. And it was kind of this was this was in the 90s the late 90s i think and it was a proto maid cafe that's basically what it was before a maid before maid cafes took off in the whole post train man era uh of the aughts this was where lonely otaku went to get their pie and ogle women in cheesy maid outfits because that was always the thing right they were wearing these like cheesy maid outfits yeah it says here the inspired by the original red uniforms a versions of which are still worn in hawaii Japan's Anna Miller uniform consisting of a white blouse, an orange or pink dress, a matching apron, and heart-shaped name tag became famous for their cute appearance. So yeah, the Anna Miller's uniform is kind of like an otaku joke. Like it pops up all the time, like in anime and like doujinshi. And Anna Miller's, I guess, have been around in Japan since the 1980s. Um, so it, it was a proto Hooters, proto maid cafe. So it has very deep roots in otaku culture in Japan. It was like Hooters minus all of that like wink, wink, nudge, nudge, like male gaze at, at, at women's bodies sort of thing that Hooters has. It's very innocent. You know, it, there's nothing there's nothing skeezy about it. Like I feel dirty when I go to a Hooters, like when people force me to at gunpoint, which has happened a few times. But at Anna Miller's, you're just down for the pie. You're down. Free coffee refills. It was uh, food folks and fun. I went to the one in Kichijoji once with Junko Mizuno, and that was pretty surreal. That made a surreal situation even more surreal. It's really sad to think of a Japan without an Anna Miller's. This is this is a, a very deep cut. I, it, it just sucks because there's so few places to get coffee and pie here. You know what I mean? Like there's no diners here in, in, in Tokyo, really, like American style. There's great like Teishoku places, but there's not like diners. And so it was kind of nice to have that. But, I, you know, I haven't been to an Anna Miller's in years. Like the Kichijoji one closed down a really long time ago. The Takanawa one that you're talking about, I didn't even know existed you know, it's interesting because Japan is kind of the place where Western franchises come to die. You know, Shakey's is still here. I don't think that's in America, is it? Trader Vic's is still here. You know, Bob's Big Boy is still here. Mr. Donut is still here. Anna Miller's may be going away. It looks like they're going to redevelop that whole area. They're going to just put up another 
crappy giant development project. And so the, uh, the the master licensor for Anna Miller's has not really announced any plans to relocate. They think they're going to start selling their pies online. I don't know about the uniforms, but everyone's going to make like one giant rush to get a look at an Anna Miller's waitress before the doors slam shut in August. Is that one of those like ancient Japanese craftsperson traditions, like master licensor of Anna Miller's? Is that do you have to like apprentice? You know, do you like, like you only adopted the dress? I was born to the dress, kind of thing. So, what do you say about a road trip? Should we go out there sometime soon and uh, get some of that damn good coffee and that uh, delicious pie? Let's do it. I, it. It'll be it'll be a blast. We should bring we should bring Michael House with us. We should we should make it a a, a heisei a heisei date. I should make it a Gaijin Smash special. Is that like the Rudy Tootie Fresh and Fruity at, uh, at at Denny's in America? Why isn't that here? They have Denny's here. They don't have my Grand Slam. Can't get a moons over my hammy here, but you can get uh, miso soup and rice. So can't have it all. It's true. I wouldn't trade it for anything. See you at Ann Miller's. The year is 0079 of the Universal Century. With the creation of orbiting space colonies, man has taken to the stars. However, all is not well. Launching an all-out war for independence, the Principality of Xeon unleashes their assault against the Earth Federation, utilizing advanced war machines known as mobile suits. Thrust into battle, an inexperienced crew must protect the Federation's prototype Gundam if they are to survive. Do you know what you're saying? If we let him go, the Federation will... Huh? It's standing! You won't get away. I'll get you! Facing a powerful enemy, can Amuro harness the power of the Gundam, or will he face the ultimate defeat? So Matt, did you know what the top three grossing movies at the Japanese box office were last week? Uh, Top Gun Maverick, Top Gun Maverick, and Top Gun Maverick? Close. The top three uh, movies in Japan last week were Top Gun Maverick, number one, number two, Shin Ultraman, and number three, Mobile Suit Gundam, Kukuru's Doan's Island. Am I pronouncing that correct? It just rolls off the tongue so easily. It sure do, don't it? Wow. Uh, Good for Gundam. So basically, this is like not the 21st century. Basically, it's like, here we are watching Top Gun, Ultraman, and Gundam. It's like the global regression proceeds. Like we can't, now we're in the 80s. Maybe in a couple of years, we'll be in the 90s. I don't know. It is sort of a nostalgia grand slam. Now we talked about Shin Ultraman, which I liked very much. Um, Gundam, Mobile Suit Gundam, Cruise Stones. I, I can't even pronounce it. So it's a... Kukurusu Doan no Shima is the is the name in Japanese, and it's a little easier to pronounce if you if you say it Japanese style. It's a remake of a classic, legendarily poorly animated episode from the original run. Like so so poorly animated, it was rushed, and the animation quality was so bad, and the characters and the mobile suits so off model that Tomino famously forbid it from being exported in foreign broadcasts of the show. So very few people anywhere outside of Japan probably seen the episode. I've never seen this original episode. I pretty much have stuck to, you know, the original Gundam trilogy, which is like a compilation movie re-edit that skips over. This is not like a major event in the storyline of Gundam. So it was a little weird. And also, um, I thought it was kind of amazing that there's no attempt 
to uh, connect with a larger audience. There is no previously on Gundam. You're thrown into episode 15 of the original series and you better be able to swim. You're you're in a you're in you're in like a conference room with Bright Noah being yelled at by like his 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 superior in the Earth Federation forces. For those for those, and I think there's many of you who haven't seen this episode. It was like a kind of one off offshoot sort of thing where they they have to scout out this island and they find that there is uh, like this this kind of orphanage of a band of children who have lost their parents in war. And they're being raised by this Zeon guy who's AWOL. And he's gone AWOL from his unit and he's taking care of these kids. And when Amro, you know, finds him, it, he, it forces him to confront the fact that not all enemies are bad guys deep down inside. And so it's one of those very special episodes of Gundam. And why they picked this to redo, I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure. Well, how did you feel, Patrick? How did you feel after coming out of the theater? I went in there with some kind of high expectations. The film was directed by uh, Yoshikazu Yasuhiko, Yaz, who's one of the all-time great, in my book anyway, anime directors and anime staff guys. He was the character designer and key animator on the original Gundam series. Everyone always likes to frame Gundam as like Tomino, 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 but like Yaz to me was like just as a big part of it. I enjoy Yaz's other works like 80s anime like Crusher Joe, Arion, and Giant Gorg. These are all like absolutely fantastic action movies that have really great character animation. He's a character designer. So his characters always have like really, really great emotional expressions. They're like almost like actors. They're not even like, even if you can't understand Japanese, you can always kind of emotionally tell what's going on in the story. He does the human character. Like he, his, it's his human characters, arguably, who made Gundam as popular as it was. Like, you know, they had that kind of a little shoujo manga anime style kind of proportions and big eyes and stuff like that. He kind of brought that androgyny to the, to the male characters. I think that really worked. And yeah, he's a legend. He's a legend. That was awesome. And the human characters I thought were animated really well. They're tune shaded. I believe this is all CG. I don't think any animators were harmed in the making of this, like any, any acetone or acetate or, you know, hand drawings. This is all done in computers. Yaz also, prior to this, did the uh, Gundam The Origin OVAs, which were uh, kind of prequels to the original series. And I actually really enjoyed those. I, I actually I usually hate reboots and prequels and sequels and all that kind of stuff, but they're done well enough. They don't violate continuity. Shar Aznable is not suddenly like a middle-aged Mexican-American guy who looks like me or anything like that. Uh, those were really well done, but this this felt a little slight there's really only one location. You're either in a conference room or you're on this like rocky island. I mean, the kind of joy of like an anime film is kind of going through different environments and experiencing different, you know, tones and atmospheres. And this is just an, a blown up Gundam episode, kind of a run of the mill Gundam episode because it's it's more of a character thing. And there are some kind of big like uh, save the day, save the world kind of implications, but it's never really it doesn't escalate towards it's a character driven story it's not uh does not end with like two giant armies on a field although although there is there is like this giant nuclear missile that's about to launch and wipe out the whole planet because you can't possibly tell a story anymore where the stakes are anything less than the entire universe hanging in the balance so there is that kind of arc in it but you know for me the big issue is that i got into gundam because of the robots and in the modern era, now all of the mobile suits are CG rigs, just like video game characters. And the, my issue with this was that because there's no like stylization or deformation to them anymore, it literally just feels like 
CG like video game characters being moved around a background. Like, you know, in the old series, when you had to draw Gundam, like the proportions get all like, you know, twerked and tweaked and like, you know, to exaggerate, we're going to do this angle or like the arm is going to look super giant. But when you're working with pure CG, they, you know, which is you would think is really cool because these are giant mechanical creatures or not creatures at all, but giant mechanical objects. You would think that would make it better. But somehow I felt the actual action scenes were a little bit lacking. I have that same problem with the the Yamato remakes that have been going on for years now. There's just no weight to everything yes. just zipping along at like the same speed as everything else zipping along. Yeah, it's it's really that that whole I I don't know if it's a budget thing. I don't know what it is, but yeah, like there's a couple scenes when like these giant presumably multi-hundred ton machines are like jumping down and it, it just it, it feels like a soldier jumping down off a rock or something like that. And that was the other thing that kind of like that kind of struck me about this, you know, I know that suspension of disbelief is needed to go into this, but the idea that like in an earth-based, ground-based combat thing that you would choose to be in these gigantic walking targets <laughs> as opposed to, I don't know, being somebody who can hide behind a rock and not get shot at. I don't know. It just somehow with the the, the quote unquote added realism, it made the whole pill a little bit more difficult to swallow but like that's gundam i don't want to like you know if you're if you're if you have a problem with that you shouldn't be watching the series at all so i'll just i'll just shut up so one thing that like japanese otaku sometimes frame original gundam is it was it was like an imaginary war for like kids during peacetime inspired by world war ii inspired by world war ii but making up imaginary battles imaginary campaigns like all this focus on battle tactics yeah, and, and politics and diplomacy and all of that stuff, definitely, you know. Things have changed a little bit. I feel like we're not in peacetime anymore, so watching Gundam does feel a little weird. What, what, you know, when I was a kid, the scenes of mobile suits rampaging through kind of European cities and things like that felt like fantasy, you know, because it was for us. We didn't have any large-scale conflicts going on in uh, Western cities at that time. But now we do uh, in in the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. And the footage, the really horrific footage that you see coming out of that makes me not really want to engage with cartoony robots rampaging through cities and killing civilians anymore. Like it's not, it's not fantasy anymore. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's all too real. I mean, the film has a strong anti-war message. You know, it definitely has like a war bad kind of thing. You know, Gundam always sort of did that. These guys were just the soldiers in the trenches. They weren't Federation and team uh, Zion are like always kind of portrayed as just sort of, um, you know, jerks throwing soldiers under the bus. Absolutely. No, there's definitely an anti-war vibe. It's not like pro-war. It's not exploitative or anything like that, but just, I don't know, you know, the 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 scenes of like Zaku's blowing up civilian cities and 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 fighting and things like that. It's just it's impossible to just see it as fantasy anymore. It's impossible to see it as just entertainment. Unlike Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, well, see, that's so divorced from reality that you can actually take it as as fantasy or at least I could. I was like, "Okay, fifth generation fighters or whatever the heck this this like MacGuffin is that they're using to it had nothing to do with reality. I, there's nothing, you know, no pilots were harmed in the making of this film kind of thing. And you know, Gundam is anime, right? It's not reality. It's not intended to be, you know, a documentary or anything, but you know, we see a lot of really scary footage coming out of European cities in the Ukraine now. So I think it's tough to watch Gundam set on Earth and not have that 
pop up into your mind these days. And when I came out of the theater, there was a, a guy recruiting for the Earth Federation forces there. You could sign up and uh, get pilot your own mobile suit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I definitely Gundam is not like any, any any kind of recruiting material in the way that like a Top Gun movie is. That's for sure. You know, it's definitely not part of the Japanese military industrial complex in the way that like Michael Bay movies are in America. No, it's part of the uh, the Japanese hobby complex. Like the, the whole goal is to recruit you to go down to like, a, you know, the hobby shop and, and buy a stack of model kits. I believe the word is fantasy industrial complex for fantasy delivery devices. There's a book on this topic, Patrick. What's your Gundam level, Matt? Are you a level one, a level two, a level three? You know what my honest-to-God Gundam level is? My honest-to-God Gundam level is I go to the model store, I see a Gundam kit, I'm like, ooh, I buy it, and then like I build half of it and I never finish, just like the rest of my life. I definitely left thinking, well, that was Gundam, that's Gundam. There's a little more Gundam out there in the world. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. I know it's, 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 it's always been a series that I've sort of admired more than really enjoyed. I think we didn't get Gundam, we didn't get the original series in America till like the late 90s, early 2000s, by which point we'd already seen like Akira, you know, you know, like Voltron has a bigger cultural impact in America than the original Gundam series. It wasn't even until Gundam Wing that people started to get excited about Gundam in the 90s. So my entire like introduction to Japan was through toys and stuff like that. And like, and when I was, God, I must've been in elementary school. I found like a Gundam, like model memorial book, like a Roman album, but for the model kits. And like, I was just obsessed with that. And like, if it weren't for that book, I probably would not have become as obsessed with Japan and started studying Japanese like I did. So I owe, I actually owe the entire arc of my life to Gundam in a lot of ways. But yeah, we couldn't see it. There was no way to see it back then. There was no streaming, no nothing. And so I remember being, even as a kid, acutely aware that like, man, I need to watch this while I can still appreciate it as a kid, <laughs> you know, and I eventually ended up watching all of it kind of in late high school when Japanese, I made Japanese friends and they had like videotapes like Betamaxes and stuff like sent over from Japan. And then in college, when I did a year abroad here, I was able to see much more of it. But yeah, we kind of, we, it didn't hit us in the feels, I think, like it did for people who saw it when they were 13. I mean, the first time I ever saw it, I was around 13 or 14. I got like an untranslated tape of uh, Gundam 3 Encounters in Space. Oh, wow. Which okay. is like literally like your first Star Wars movie being Return of the Jedi or something like that. Like it was resolving all these plot lines and all these character arcs that like I had no idea what was going on. But it's just space war. It's just literally like two and a half hours of just things blowing up in space. So I enjoyed it purely on that level, but I've always just kind of stood outside the Gundam phenomenon. Like other, I have friends who are total Gundam maniacs. I know I know Yaz has done a lot of manga that's never been made into anime. I would like to see him uh, do one more big epic. You know, oh, I'd totally. like to see him do it. Step outside of Gundam for a bit. Give us another Arion. Give us another Crusher Joe. Give us uh, a giant Gorg uh, equal, not a sequel or a prequel. Well, I think this, this, the Kukru's Doan's Island is the, the reason that they came out with this is to, to link back to what you were talking about. This is the Gundam, the origin version of this. And you can tell because Gundam is wearing his shield upside down in the very beginning. Was like, Ooh, uh, upside down shield, uh, the mark of origin. So I guess that is the ostensible reason why they made this to kind of like, you know, fit it into that timeline. And I actually think it's cool they're reanimating this stuff. It doesn't really excite me, but, um, you know, as we were saying, Gundam had kind of some really, really, I don't want to say low quality, but it just, I think they were rushed. And so there's a lot of kind of gloopy looking characters and designs, especially in the TV series. 
And it's not every anime that gets a chance to revisit that and come back. So that that's kind of cool, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's basically like a Gundam special edition. You know, I mean, it is kind of like the Star Wars of Japan in a lot of ways. And for good and for bad, I mean, why not just reanimate the entire series? I mean, you know, the audience I saw it with was like half full of, you know, speaking of the... Uh, the nineties, they were like, it was filled with like elderly Oji-san, like uh, reconnecting to their inner teenage boys. Unlike Shin Ultraman, it, it was the, the, the age, the, or very much like Shin Ultraman, I should say it was the, the age range was in the kind of 50 plus kind of like heavily weighted there. I know, I'm always wondering like, will there be a Gundam for the rest of us? You know, that's kind of, I, I saw Hathaway, which I really enjoyed. And to me seemed like a theatrical quality animated work that was at least trying some new things in terms of storytelling, if not actual continuity, because I still didn't know what was going on half the time, because I don't have total recall, instant memory of everything that happened in the Char's counterattack movie that came out, you know, 30 years ago. Shame on you. Shame. I liked Hathaway too. Like every now and then they try to do a Gundam for the rest of us, and I never really succeeded. Gundam is Gundam, but maybe someday someone will crack that nut. This this film was fun. It did not feel like it had as much of a budget as Hathaway or Thunderbolt, which is another Gundam Thunderbolt, which is another one that I really liked. I thought that was really well done. If you haven't seen that, you should check it out. But yeah, this is one for all the Gundam fans out there. It's a deep cut for the fans. Uh, I don't really know if I, I can't really put this on the essential anime list. I've, I've had more fun in movie theaters before, but uh, I'm glad someone's still out there. I'm glad Yaz is still getting his name up on the screen and uh, doing cool stuff with character animation. So three stars. I don't know. Thumbs up. I'm going to give it a thumbs in the middle. Can I maybe? give it a half thumb up? Can I chop my pinky off and, and throw the severed finger at the screen? Yeah, there was no pinky chopping off scene in this film. I was, it was really sad. Japanese traditions date back thousands of years. Some have changed slightly. Some have even made it to America. Like the authentic taste of Nissen's Top Ramen, an original recipe of succulent noodles in a broth flavored with oriental spices. And for a full delicious meal, just add meat and vegetables. So if you want traditional Japanese noodles, but don't want to spend centuries at the stove, use your noodle and try Top Ramen from Nissen. Do we have questions from the audience? Okay. So moving on to our listener mail. Yes, we do. We have a question from Mr. David Merrill of the Terror Bee Funhouse. Okay. He asks, how do Japanese people react to fakey American takes on Japanese culture? Shogun, steakhouses, bad ninja movies, selected Getty Watanabe film roles, and that bad Chinese restaurant font used for everything. Or is this even on their radar? Thanks, Dave. I have I have some answers to this. I you know I remember when you know when Heroes. Do you remember that like TV series that well, that was a big deal when that came out. There was a uh, Masioka. Masioka's character is supposed to be kind of an otaku, and there was a lot of kind of la- that show was actually pretty popular here. And so people, I remember being oh like you know fake Japan, ha ha ha. But like nobody was like mad about it or anything. It was just like yep, that's Hollywood for you. And I think that's how most people. I think most people are pleasantly surprised when Hollywood does Japan right. Yeah, I just see the mostly like shaking their heads and just kind of laughing and just kind of shrugging their shoulders. And that's about all they can do, really. And I don't, I've never seen anyone get like mad about it or like post mean stuff on the Internet about it. But it's possible. Well, Japan, I, I think J- Japan as a whole is a country that kind of expects to be misunderstood <laughs> in a lot of ways. And so, you know, there's a lot of shrugging about it. I don't think there's much... You know, there's there's an understanding that Westerners interact with a kind of fantasy version of Japan that's different than the actual Japan. Like, you know, I don't know, Benihana, 
you know, that's like, I remember when I was a kid, like, oh, Benihana, Benihana, and you come to Japan and like teppanyaki is a thing, but not like any kind of usual regular thing. Like you'd have to be on an expense account, you know, with your salaryman buddies to, to go to one here entertaining a client. The chef doesn't make like a puppet out of like a lemon peel and like entertain you with it or something like that. <laughs> Flipping chicken pieces into his pocket, you know, for or on top of his uh, on top of his hat for uh, for laughs. No, <laughs> so well, I have to say, when I got uh, you know my Japanese uh, visa, we celebrated at Benihana's at uh, at San Francisco's Japantown, and, and that that was a blast. Um, Did Rocky so. Aoki himself come out and present you with your visa? I hope so. Maybe Devin Aoki. That'd be cool. <laughs> I love Devin Oki. No, she's awesome. I mean, she's she's great. Like Sin City, she's awesome in Sin City. What else is she in? She's in a, she in Charlie's Angels. I can't uh, remember. Fast and the Furious, Tokyo Drift. Right, right. Fast and the Furious. No, it's Lucy Liu who is in uh, the Charlie's Angels movies. Duh. Um, yes, Fast and the Furious. Hots. Remember, Hots is an acronym for something. I don't remember, but cannibalistic humanoid underground something am i missing out? NFTs. I, getting... I forget what it's <laughs> NFTs. god no i thought we'd be able to go through an entire i thought i could go through one day without nfts being mentioned patrick just one day never okay so i think that wraps it up for this episode thanks to everyone for listening uh i know we promised everyone we were going to do an exciting episode about uh japanese primetime tv this week but gundam was just too too momentous a pop cultural event and we had to switch it up but we'll try to do japanese tv next week and also big news we've just booked our first guest interview for the show and it's a japanese filmmaker who's excited about uh something and he wants to share it with all of us and uh we'll have more details in the future yes really looking forward to talking to akira kurosawa next episode it's gonna be awesome